Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It is the biggest week of the college football season. We've got big games all over the place, quarterfinal matchups in Ohio, and of course, three Thanksgiving games going on in the NFL. BetOnline has you covered with all the props, odds, promos, and parlays. Use our promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode to get a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is a podcast. Welcome into our NFL Monday Week 11. I hope y'all are having a fan-flippin-tabulous day. Hope you can hear the giddiness in my voice because uh, I am excited to talk about this one. And this is going to be me taking a big old victory lap at the beginning while also mixing in some serious analysis. We're going to try and thread the needle perfectly between entertainment and analysis, like the, uh, the, 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 the Charles Barkley spectrum of like there is boring super X's and O's analysis and there is entertainment. And sometimes what I like to do with this NFL Monday is to thread the needle between information and entertainment. And I'm going to try and thread that perfectly when talking about Kansas City against the Chargers. Oh my gosh, Kansas City did it again, again, and you don't even know what I'm talking about yet. You might assume that I'm talking about them beating the Chargers on the most heartbreaking shit ever for the Chargers. This is three times in a row the Chargers have lost on the most heartbreaking shit against Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. That's not even what I want to talk about first off. We could, we're going to get to the X's and O's of the game and the analysis-specific stuff later. I want to first talk about the macro-level point that I have been driving home for seven months. So let's for those who are new to this show, because there might be people who are new, and if you've heard this before, I'm just going to spark notes this thing about my traumatic childhood. But basically, I was just a, a, a socially isolated sports kid, uh, really watched a lot of like daytime programming, and that's how I kind of like fed this like addiction to sports that I had that helped me cope with all these feelings that I had in a childhood and like high school years that weren't great. And so one of the most formative moments for me was when Growing up in San Diego, born and raised, the Chargers left San Diego. And I'm someone who wanted to leave San Diego when I got older. And so I did, just like the Chargers. And I am a six-year, soon-to-be six-year recovering Chargers fan. I have never looked back since giving up my emotional allegiance to the Chargers. It was difficult for the first six weeks, and after that, you don't really feel any sort of emotional connection. You stop watching the games. You go do something else with your life. It was an incredibly... formative lesson for me when the Chargers left San Diego because I was like oh you can just pick up your team and leave and not care about the city that I love or the people that I kind of associate with in a way and in the same way I talk about my connection to San Diego being through the baseball team and some of my family you point to that and look at it and say huh okay I guess I don't want to root for them anymore. And then I didn't. And my life has been so much better since. For two years, I was kind of down on football, didn't watch the Charger games, 
didn't really like kind of did other stuff was out on football and what part of what brought me back into football was wanting to do this analysis thing and podcast and be, get paid to talk about sports as a dream years ago that we're still continuing in some ways shapes and forms especially with this podcast the other way was Patrick Mahomes that 2018 Kansas City season with Patrick Mahomes was something that drew me back into football because of how amazingly fun that team was and has continued to be in the five years since. So now we're in year five of Kansas City. They are the greatest run of football since the 2000s Patriots. And I'm telling you, we're going to look up in 2032, 10 years from now, they're going to have won 15 division titles in 16 years. The Broncos and the Raiders and in a little bit the Chargers are going to look similar to the Jets and Dolphins and Bills in the AFC East, where the Bills missed the playoffs for 17 years. The Dolphins haven't won a playoff game in 22. Jets have missed the playoffs every year for 12 years. You can look at that, and that's going to be a similar path for Denver and for the Raiders and for the Chargers, as long as they keep the same divisions intact. And it's because of Kansas City. You've given the greatest offensive coach in the history of football, the greatest quarterback I have ever seen play the game, and statistically can back up the fact that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. And as a result, Kansas City has now won 25 consecutive football games in November and December. After Patrick Mahomes got hurt in 2019 and came back, they won 27 of 28 games that Patrick Mahomes started. He started his career undefeated for 11 consecutive games in September. Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City are literally unbeatable. In a sport where random shit happens all the time, Kansas City is literally unbeatable. First team ever to host four consecutive AFC championship games. Like, dude, this team is literally unbeatable. They have been unbeatable for five seasons. And because they only have one championship in the randomness of the the postseason, and they threw up on themselves in Cincinnati, which happens to everyone, Tom Brady blew a 17-point lead in the playoffs against against the Colts in 06, they are the equivalent of the Kansas City. Kansas City is the equivalent of the Patriots. They just have only had seven years to do what the Patriots have had 20 years to do. Like, we're going to look up 10 years from now, and they're going to be great. And I get to love that team because that quarterback is part of the reason why we're doing this podcast and part of the reason why I want to get paid to work in sports and continue that dream that I had as a child was Mahomes bringing me back into football for basically an entire era of my life. This is now five years. I've moved out of college. I've moved to a new stage of life, new stage of this podcasting thing. And Patrick Mahomes has a big part of that, or at least a part of that. I'm not going to say a big part of it, but he has a part in that. And when he gets to defile the Chargers, it just feels a little bit sweeter. Just a little bit sweeter. And I actually realized this time that the Chargers, because I've realized I'm coming up on six years of being a, a recovering Chargers fan. I say it like it's an addiction because it is. Rooting for bad football teams is like a narcotic. Rooting for good football teams is like a narcotic. But when you root for bad teams, it's it's a little bit addictive because you aren't getting the pleasure associated with emotionally investing. Lions fans, Falcons fans. I know I'm picking teams that won this weekend, but Lions fans and Falcons fans over the past 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And so... I love Patrick Mahomes. That's my guy. It's, I'm wearing his jersey right now. It's the only football jersey that I own and the only football jersey I'll probably own because I don't really buy jerseys. I'm not in the mood for like giving the NFL more money than I have to. So that's what I got. It's Patrick Mahomes. I don't care about whether the Kansas City team wins or loses. I'm not that deep emotionally invested, but we talked about last year after they beat Buffalo in the playoffs. I got a little bit emotional. And I got a little bit emotional after they beat the Chargers. And it was coming off the week where I got to produce live radio for the first time. It was coming off a week where I got to do a bunch of Sacramento Kings broadcasts. And it felt like a very validating moment for all the energy and time that I put in. And coming out of that, to finish it off with, after basically working 60 hours in five days, to finish that off with Patrick Mahomes 
doing that to the Chargers in a game that I actually chose to watch because it's one of those games that's like the five like must five or six must watch games all season. Both Chargers Chiefs games are. I know the Chargers have a bunch of injuries. As long as you get Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler and a handful of those defensive players in the game, it's going to be worth your time. And it was. I thought that Kansas City would blow out the Chargers. I thought they'd blow them out because Kansas City is already a great passing attack. And if you add, uh, like what happened in the game, Pacheco was their first 100-yard rusher since week four of last season. You look to that and it's like, oh yeah, Kansas City should be able to put up 30 points against anyone, especially this defense. They could put up 35-42 and they almost did. I mean, they, they finished the game with 30. The Chargers just happened to put up 27 and pick apart Kansas City's defense because Justin Herbert looks like he's finally recovered from torn rib cartilage nine weeks ago. And the Chargers look great. That third and 18 to Keenan Allen looked great. That touchdown drive, uh, not the, the one after the big bomb. So they threw the bomb touchdown where they just broke Kansas City's secondary over their knee. The second of the three touchdowns was an awesome touchdown drive for the Chargers. Chargers looked very good. And the thing about very good, we talked about this last year when, remember the Thursday night football overtime loss that the the Chiefs had in game December of last year? It's actually one of our most popular podcasts ever. I can't remember what ended up happening after that, but that, that, that post Kansas City, Los Angeles podcast we did last year, remember the overtime when Kelsey ran it through the secondary? That, what I said after that is, yo, the fact that the Chargers were within one play of beating Kansas City, and if they had won that game, they would have moved into a tie for the division, and because the Chargers beat them twice, they would have had the tiebreaker to win the division, and then they lost that, and then they had no chance of winning the division, and then they blew the wild card at the end. But the fact that the Chargers were that close is a massive, massive success and a credit to Justin Herbert. And just how amazing of a quarterback Justin Herbert is. Because after Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Lamar being the elite tier, Herbert's right there. He's right there. Him and Burrow are are kicking down the door. As the second tier gets even smaller, as Russell Wilson is clearly not a second tier quarterback anymore, as Kyler Murray is having a really bad season, that tier two is incredibly thin. And we're looking at, as Aaron Rodgers falls from grace into his 40s, like you're looking at, Herbert, Burrow, Dak, that's about it at the top. After Mahomes, Allen, and Lamar, who are very clearly the three elite quarterbacks, and even among those three, Mahomes is a clear above is a tier above those guys. Like Herbert's right there in that same space that Josh Allen finds himself in. He's right there. Have the Chargers set him up to succeed? No. But the fact that Herbert was able to get them that close with the amount of talent that they do have and had last season, incredible testament to the Chargers. Yeah, they they feel bad that they lost in overtime to Kansas City. You should not be in a position to go to overtime with Kansas City. This is Kansas for this is Kansas City we're talking about. This is like being in a position to go to overtime with the 2000s Patriots. You should being in that position is an incredible incredible testament cuz in Three of the other divisions in the NFL, the Chargers would be winning it. Despite all their injuries, the Chargers would be winning three of the divisions in the NFL this year. And the fact that they aren't because they play in the AFC West and they're 5-5, five and five, but two of those losses are against Kansas City. Like, the Chargers are so close. And they're going to be a wild card team pretty consistently. The reason I say that, like, I still think Kansas City's going to win 15 division titles in 16 years... The only thing that gives me pause is is Patrick is Justin Herbert being in the same division because again that's the two of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL for the next ten years. I mean they're currently in the middle of it. Like Mahomes is in the middle of his ten years. Herbert's kind of at the beginning of his ten years. But like next ten years, that's two of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. And these games every year are must watch games. It helps that they're always close, and it makes it even sweeter that the Chargers get so close and lose. Because remember last year with Kelsey overtime score, week two of the season, the first Thursday night football game, Chargers were down seven on the two-yard line, 
and Justin Herbert threw a pick. I'm sorry, it was a tie game. Tie game going in to take a seven-point lead, and Justin Herbert threw a pick six. Remember that? We did a post-game show after that game. Remember that? Pick six at the goal line. I think it was uh, Justin Watson or Jalen Watson in a tie game where the Chargers were about to go up seven, and then it was a 100-yard pick six, and then they're down seven. And when you're down seven with three minutes to play, not much of a chance against Mahomes. And then this one, this one was just chef's kiss. Because you have Keenan Allen fumbling 23-20. I know it sounds like I have disdain for the Chargers. I have disdain for the Chargers owner. And I love Kansas City. I love that Chargers are just going to have a Sisyphus cycle every year of losing to Kansas City exactly like this. Keenan Allen fumbles, and I think that's the moment where it's like, oh, you were so close. You were about to go in, score the game-winning touchdown. But then Kansas City fumbled. Derek McKinnon fumbled back to the Chargers. And the Chargers get a third and 18 bomb to Keenan Allen. And then they score the go-ahead touchdown. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, the Chargers are going to win this one. Because I thought even after the Keenan Allen bomb got completed, Kansas City's going to be able to hold them at the goal line. And they didn't. They just didn't hold them at the goal line. It was, in fact, a total defensive breakdown on that last touchdown play from Mahomes to jo- or from Herbert to Joshua Palmer. And then Mahomes went down the field and threw it to Kelsey and a missed tackle. And Kelsey scored a touchdown, and Mahomes took a 30-27 to lead with 31 seconds left to play, and Kansas City won, and then we started playing our song over and over again. And so I did the micro level perspective to talk about the macro. So we talked about the game itself and how the Chargers have just had these heartbreaking losses and we've done the X's and O's. The macro level point that I want to talk about. And before I do this, let me just say, I don't really care that much about being right or wrong. Like I'm now confident enough in my analysis that if I do, I've watched enough football to recognize patterns and I'm watching enough this year to be able to do analysis on these games. Even though I'm watching less football than I ever have before, I spent the last two years watching an ungodly amount of football. And I've watched it with a keen eye for analysis now to a point where I can do macro-level X's and O's football analysis. And I can do analysis and look at the Giants and say, yes, clearly the trends of the last five years of me watching football and 40 years of data suggest the Giants are at best a seven seed in the wild card, even when they're six and one. And I can look at Baltimore and say, Baltimore, there is a clear explanation as to why they are the third best team in the NFL and better than Philadelphia. And you're seeing it right now. I know Baltimore didn't have the greatest game ever today. But you're looking at Baltimore. I'm like, Baltimore is better than Philadelphia. And I can point to this reason why it is the case. So I don't actually care that much about being right. All of this is a probabilities game. With that being said, what did I tell you all offseason? What have I been boasting? It is bet on Kansas City. Bet on red. Why? Because you can lose Daniel Sorensen, Tyreek Hill, Tyran Matthew. You can subtract Charvarius Ward when in free agency. You can subtract key pieces of the last four seasons. Incredibly, incredibly important players of the last four years. You can subtract them all at once and convert it into draft picks and Marquez Valdez Scantling. You can do that, and it doesn't matter. And the reason it doesn't matter is because. All of your problems that all the NFL teams go through when you have changes in the salary at the quarterback position, players getting older, pivoting to the next regime, making a major move like trading Tyreek Hill, who I thought like with Kelsey and Mahomes was going to be the three pieces that would be there for the entire 15-year run. And in the case of Kelsey, he's going to retire a little sooner, so like 10 of the 15 years. When you make a big move like that, all of your problems are a little bit less so when you have Patrick Mahomes, the greatest quarterback that has ever played football, that I have ever seen play football. 
and the greatest offensive coach in the history of the NFL. All of your problems are a little bit less of problems. And I still maintain the same point. Buffalo Bills are a better football team than Kansas City. They are the only football team better than Kansas City. And at the same time, they are a better football team than Kansas City. It's not like Kansas City is immune to the trends of the sport. The only difference is you remove all those pieces. They go from being clear and defined number one for four seasons to number two. That's what we're talking about here is only in a scenario where the Buffalo Bills who have the second best quarterback in the NFL and have built competence around him only in that scenario does Kansas City find themselves as a less talented team despite the fact having the greatest offensive quarterback ever or sorry the greatest offensive play caller ever and the greatest quarterback I've ever seen play only in that scenario. And that's not Kansas City, that's that's not Los Angeles, that's not the Raiders, and that's not the Broncos. I said all offseason, when everyone's like, oh my god, the AFC West is going to be amazing this year. I, I thought Denver and the Raiders would be a little bit better than where they are now. And at the same time, Kansas City through and through. Kansas City is going to win that... Di- I've been saying it for two years, and I'm going to say it for 10 years. We're going to look up. They've won 15 division titles in 16 years. It is the most consistent thing, and I have not seen evidence to the contrary. If Andy Reid retires, perhaps we pivot. There is no evidence to the contrary. If you have Andy Reid, you have Patrick Mahomes, and you have basic levels of stability, that franchise is going to win 15 division titles in 16 years. This win against the Chargers secures number seven. That's seven in a row. They've already won seven in a row. They got to get nine more, eight more. Like, it's totally going to happen. Bet on Kansas City every single year the way you bet on the Patriots. Don't fall victim to short-term trends. Don't fall victim to transactions that don't have the same level of impact. What we are talking about with Kansas City is being ahead of the grain against the middle. They'll they'll get to the, the the end and then we'll have another conversation. Like losing the coin toss to New England in 2018. Like losing the Super Bowl to Tampa Bay. Like blowing the AFC championship against the Bengals because they vomited on themselves up 20-0 at halftime. We can have that conversation once we get to the final two. When we get to the final four against the middle, which is what the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Broncos occupy, Kansas City's going to thrash them every year. And this is the thing I said when Denver traded for Russell Wilson. I understand the move. I'd still make the move with all the information I have now. All the information I had at the time, trading for Russell Wilson was the best move. But the thing I pointed to is you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Same thing with the Raiders. No matter what you do, you're not going to get Kansas City. That doesn't mean to just give up and punt. It means try your best, but we're going to look up in 2032 and be like, oh man, the Raiders haven't won a playoff game in 30 years. We're going to look up in 2032 and be like, man, the Broncos haven't made the playoffs since 2015. Man, the Broncos have made one playoff appearance since 2015. We're going to look up and be like, wow, Justin Herbert has never won a playoff. I'm sorry, Justin Herbert's never won more than one division title in his career. It's only because he happens to exist at the exact same time as Kansas City. Against the middle, there's nothing that those teams can do to touch Kansas City. The fact that the Chargers are this close is an incredible testament to Justin Herbert's ability and the players at the skill positions that they have on that team. There's nothing they can do to consistently touch Kansas City without Kansas City blowing up internally. The way Kansas City is presently constructed, you can take away all of those pieces of the last four years on the periphery. Like, you can take away Tyreek Hill, Tyron Matthew, Daniel Sorensen, Traverius Ward, all at the same time. And you can't touch it. You can't touch what Kansas City has done. And it's a a shitty existence to find yourself in, and that's why I find it incredibly funny that Kansas City, the team that I now, like, love Patrick Mahomes and want them to succeed, that team is doing it to my old team 
and the team that betrayed my hometown. Oh, it's just excellent. It's just a chef's kiss. It's a chef's kiss on the sports fandom that I don't actually feel deep rooted fandom for. Like I say, when Kansas City wins or loses, it doesn't doesn't bother me. They're going to win way more often than they lose. Regular season, I have enough perspective to recognize regular season games don't matter for Kansas City. They lose one game. Oh no, the Kansas City lost one game to the Chargers. Oh no, they're going to lose one division title in 17 years to the Chargers. Y'all, this is the 2000s Patriots. They're going to roll for 10 years. They're going to make the AFC Championship game every year for 10 seasons in a row. In a row. Kansas City is consistently one of the two best teams every year for five years, and they're going to be that for the next five years after that. Maybe they'll take a one-year break to retool. Even that one-year break, they're probably going to win a playoff game, win the division title, and maybe lose to Miami. Maybe they'll lose a throw-up game like they did to Cincinnati. Kansas City cannot be touched. Bet on red. Bet on red again. Bet on red again. Bet on it again. Nothing the Chargers add. Nothing the Raiders add. Nothing the Broncos add will be able to touch them. The only team that has a puncher's chance is the Chargers. The reason they have a puncher's chance is because of that special quarterback. And that's just even more tormenting if you're a San Diego sports curse believer. Is that they gave the Chargers. The Chargers left San Diego and they got another special quarterback. They've had, man, if you take out the 10 years or 15 years in between Dan Fat, like they've had 50 years of a Hall of Fame quarterback play. If you take out the 15 years between Dan Fouts and Drew Brees, Chargers have had Hall of Fame quarterback play for 15 years or for 50 years. Dan Fouts is going to be 70s and 80s. Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, Eli Manning all on the same roster in 2004. Then to go right into Justin Herbert. Man, they're going to have Hall of Fame quarterback play for 40 consecutive years, and they ain't going to win shit. This time, because Patrick Mahomes happens to exist at the same time as Justin, or Justin Herbert happens to exist at the same time as Patrick Mahomes. It's kind of wild that that's the scenario we find ourselves in. As someone who is a six-year recovering Chargers fan and watching other Chargers fans go through that narcotic, chef's fucking kiss that Patrick Mahomes is going to exist in the same division as the formerly San Diego Chargers for 15 years in the prime of Justin Herbert's career. Chef's kiss. And I am going to be right All the evidence points to this Kansas City team is the Patriots all over again. We talked about never seeing the Patriots again, and the Patriots won championships in ridiculous ways. Like, they always had elite defenses, and Tom Brady was the great offense. And I think the thing that will probably separate them is that Reed and Mahomes happen to be on the same side of the ball, and so those defenses are going to let them down more often than the Patriots did. I think that's probably going to be the difference, but the end result is going to be pretty similar if you take away the championships. It's going to be eight Super Bowl appearances, 15 AFC championships. In If they get 20 years like Brady and Belichick did, let's say they only get like 15 years because they probably won't get as many years together as Brady and Belichick did. Let's say 15 years, uh, 13 AFC championships, 16 division titles in 17 years. And five Super Bowls, four Super Bowls, whatever you want to point to, like it is going to be that for Kansas City. It's going to be it's going to be that for 15 years and it's going to overlap with the Chargers having Justin Herbert. And that is the funniest shit ever for a former scorned Chargers fan. Now scorned and recovering Chargers fan. It is just just amazing just amazing and by the way keep tormenting them like that torment them with kelsey on the last play of the game torment them kelsey 31 seconds left torment them with we're about to go up seven in kansas city oh shit pick six now we're losing by seven keep doing it like that because every time i get to come on this post game show and i get to just bask in how 
funny that shit is. How funny it is that Dean Spanos gets to take that L and just hold it. That is San Diego sports curse laughing at them on the way out. Because I realized that this week, Chargers moved to San moved out of San Diego, September, uh, January twelfth, two thousand seventeen, and three months later, Kansas City drafted Patrick Mahomes. Before before the Chargers ever played a game in Los Angeles, Kansas City drafted Patrick Mahomes, and now you get to deal with that for fifteen fucking years. It's great. It's funny that the San Diego sports curse went out with that level of a bang on the Chargers. As I say all the time, the San Diego sports curse works in mysterious ways. All right, so I was piecing together what a second segment for NFL Monday would look like, and I was going through the list of stories that were secondary to Kansas City and Los Angeles, you know, kind of the the rest of the games on the docket, and I was looking at the Eagles, and you know, we didn't talk about them losing to Washington or losing almost to Indianapolis. I mean, it took a Jalen Hurts QB sneak at the end to squeak out a 17-16 win against the Indianapolis Colts, who fired their coach, which basically means you're punting on the season. And I thought that was interesting. I, I think there's a longer form conversation to talk about with the Eagles. I saw the New England Patriots win a football game 3-3 to with a punt return touchdown on the last play because the New York Jets special teams just absolutely collapsed. It was the first punt return touchdown all season. All season it was the first punt return touchdown. And I made the joke on the internet that went kind of viral that Bill Belichick winning a football game 3-3 to with a punt return touchdown as time expires he that made him happier than two, at least two of those Super Bowls. I will bet you the 28 to 3 Super Bowl and the Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles, Bill Bell I'm sorry, the the one that they won against the Eagles, the one in 2004. Those Super Bowls did not make Bill Belichick as happy as winning that game 3 to 3 against the Jets combining for like seven sacks. The Patriots have sacked so many people this year. I think that's probably why they have a top five defense this year. Dude, that roster, go look up and down that Patriots roster. Like it's, uh, it's miraculous that they might make the playoffs. It's miraculous that they have a top five defense this year. That team is not talented enough to have a top five defense, but Bill Belichick wins games three to three and Afterwards, you hear stories about the Jets are pissed because Zach Wilson's walking around like it wasn't his fault, but Zach Wilson is not a very good quarterback. Again, you could have had Justin Fields. I feel so vindicated on that point. So that was something that was interesting, but I didn't really have 15 to 20 minutes on it. I pretty much just had those two minutes on Jets and Patriots, Um, two minutes on Lions and Giants because Detroit's offense is actually fun because they've actually been investing in building that offense a little bit and Jamal Williams they picked him up from the Packers and he leads the NFL in touchdowns this year is super fascinating and on the flip side the New York Giants finally had the embarrassing loss we were waiting for so did the Vikings by the way the Vikings and Giants the two teams that statistically were the luckiest in the NFL this year because they keep winning one possession games kind of randomly because again we we talked about last week with the Buffalo Bills when you get those one possession games where it's like tie game with two minutes to play or three-point game with two minutes to play those are ones where you can kind of flip a coin and if you flip a coin enough times it's going to come pretty close to 50-50 or somewhere between 55 and 45 percent on who wins Vikings and Giants have just won a lot of those coin toss games and both of them got that ass whooped at home ass whooped at home but again that's all I pretty much had on those games other than the the New York Giants actually have the worst rushing defense in the NFL this year I saw this on the Sunday night football broadcast the Chargers last year were 32nd rush defense this year the Chargers are 31st only the New York Giants have a worse rushing defense than the Los Angeles Chargers and the Chargers have had one of the worst rushing defenses like in NFL history the last two seasons 
So only the Giants have a worse rushing defense than the Chargers. Giants got that ass whooped by Detroit. And Minnesota got that ass whooped by the Dallas Cowboys. So that's like all the stuff that happened in the NFL. But again, I only had like five minutes total on those four interesting points. What I do want to talk about is college football. Because I do have a long form conversation that I'm interested in with college football. Because there was like five interesting, interesting things at the top of college football this weekend. And that was something that I didn't think would happen. I thought we'd come back and uh, after we talked to Razor Rosenthal about TCU last week and we talked about Ohio State, Michigan, and we talked about um, what's happening with USC, UCLA and Utah, Oregon and the Pac-12, like we kind of did that coverage last week on college football and then it ended up being a chaotic week where like Michigan's winning a game at the last second Ohio State's almost in jeopardy of losing TCU's calling run plays and sprinting the kicking unit on the field with 12 seconds to play and kicking a not guaranteed 43 yard field goal to win like there was a lot of weird stuff that happened but we'll save that for later in the week we talked about it last week with Razor a lot of the same points we talked about still hold up especially the conversation about TCU and about the the Pac-12 and everything that's going on with Oregon and Utah and USC, UCLA. And we'll get to that in a minute. I do actually want to talk about the Pac-12. But I first want to talk about Tennessee. Because Tennessee was in line to make the playoff until they give up 63 points to South Carolina, who I think has like seven wins on the season. So like not a terrible, terrible team. Like their third best team in the SEC East which is usually like where Kentucky resides. Shout out to Blake Jude. That's usually the space Kentucky occupies. So like there's no shame in a team like Tennessee losing to Kentucky or losing to South Carolina. I think Tennessee beating Alabama changed the expectations in a way that I wasn't prepared to change the expectations for. I had acknowledged the fact that Tennessee was probably going to make the playoff if they went 11-1 and and didn't win the conference title because their only loss was to Georgia. I was totally ready to admit Tennessee would make the playoff. I also said from the very beginning, and Razor talked about this in the Tennessee-Georgia game, which is Georgia's been this for six years. What Georgia is doing right now, where they seem like the only team in college football that's capable and will be seven-point favorites against anyone, whether it's Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, they'll be between seven and 17-point favorites in all their playoff games. Like, Georgia is great, but they've been a Tier 1 or Tier 2 program for six years. Tennessee was the fun, flashy thing and got to the top, and I thought that was super interesting. And I'm not going to take a victory lap on them losing because I said at the start of the year, if they go 10-2 and and lose to Bama and Georgia, impeccable season for Tennessee. It literally cannot get better than that. And then they beat Alabama, and it turns out Alabama is not actually that good this year. They're like the fourth best team in the SEC, maybe third. I mean, we walked away from that game saying Alabama still looked better on paper than Tennessee, and I still feel that way walking out. I think both teams feel a little bit grosser about themselves than they did four weeks ago, and I think maybe I do as well. What I found most interesting about Tennessee losing, and obviously Hendon Hooker tore his ACL towards the end of the game, and that was a, a like turf monster on a bad field at South Carolina that ends up potentially ruining a chance of him getting millions of dollars that was totally unthinkable six, seven weeks ago. And so... What obviously that's the storyline coming out of it, but before we had the Hendon Hooker injury, the thing that I found fascinating was man, Alabama's been around for 15 years and they never have that loss. And I don't want to make this like the oh, Alabama centric college football thing, like it genuinely made me think like Tennessee is in the first year of building up a Tier 1, Tier 2 program. I think Tennessee resides in the Tier 2 group right now, although the Tier 1 group is incredibly, incredibly thin. Once we've taken away Alabama and Clemson, I think Ohio State and Georgia probably inhabit that space, and both of them will make the national championship. But this year's Georgia team is like well above this year's Ohio State team. And so... What I'm looking at it with Tennessee is like, yes, it was your first year, and in in the first year of being in the Tier 1, Tier 2 group... Man, they they got smoked by a team that's going to make a good bowl game and a team that's going to win eight games. The, or theoretically, if they win their bowl game, win eight games. 
which again, like losing to Kentucky, it happens. It doesn't usually happen by 25 points in the fourth quarter, which was up until Hendon Hooker got hurt. Like it usually doesn't happen that way. It does also happen to everyone except Alabama for 15 years. And it was just one of those other things that as we start to genuflect at the end of the Alabama dynasty that just made me think about the only time I can think of that happening to Alabama where they don't just lose, they get dismantled, was the national championship game against Trevor Lawrence. It was 2018 season. The national championship game against Trevor Lawrence, they lost 48-16. to And that was in the national championship game with a defensive line where every single player got drafted in the first round, except for one player who got picked in the third round. And they had a linebacker who sometimes filled in at edge, who was Isaiah Simmons, who got picked eighth overall by the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, they had Furl first round pick, Christian Wilkins first round pick, who's now really, really good NFL player, and uh, Dexter Lawrence, who started every game for four years at defensive tackle for the New York Giants. And then, of course, Isaiah Simmons. Like, you had a defense that had the five stars that revel what this Georgia team is right now and what the Georgia team was last year. So, like, that's the only time I've seen Alabama get dismantled, dismantled in a game. And that was the national championship game against a team of five stars. Like, Tennessee losing that game to South Carolina happens to everyone. And it happened to Ohio State, even. Ohio State, who's been, like playing in the playoff every year for like six of the last eight years and switch coaches and the machine still rolls like even Ohio State got blown out by a Purdue team that I don't think made a bowl game that year remember the 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 Tyler Trent story that went viral and then they just like dismantled dismantled Ohio State and that was the last year of Urban Meyer like even it it even happens to Ohio State it doesn't happen to Alabama for 15 years, and I thought that was pretty remarkable coming out of Tennessee. Like Their season's still going to be fine. They're still going to go to the Sugar Bowl. They're still going to have a great postseason run. It's And obviously not having Hendon Hooker just totally dampers the run that they had because I think it's going to be pretty tough for Hendon Hooker to win the Heisman even now. I, I, I don't know what the Heisman Trophy is going to go to, and at this point, whatever. You know, you can pick any one of the three and it'll be cool. I, I I think Hooker statistically probably matches up against any of the other ones, which is Caleb Williams and uh, CJ Stroud. I think he matches up against any of them and you can kind of pick any of them and have it be acceptable. But I think the point's still standing. Like, it's, it's interesting how Bama has withstood that. And Tennessee might be building something or this might be a flash in the pan. I think flash in the pan is probably more likely given the last 17 years of Tennessee football. And even if this is a flash in the pan type of moment, to have it go down the way that everyone goes down, even Clemson has been uh, pretty, I mean, they got dismantled by Notre Dame this year. They got, I mean, there's no shame in getting dismantled by Georgia, like where they scored three points and they shouldn't have even scored three points against Georgia's defense. And they got dismantled by Notre Dame this year. Like sometimes there's no shame in losing those games. It's just, it's really interesting to see it happen and then to think about how it's never happened to Bama. So that was one thing that I found interesting. The other part is we've been doing this podcast for four years now. This is our fourth football season. I did it my freshman year of college during the pandemic year of 2020. Last year, we did both NFL Monday and Memes of the Weekend and occasionally Wired Up podcasts because we were doing too much. Hashtag doing too much. And so this is now our fourth year of doing this podcast every week during football season. And one of the perennial jokes on the show is the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is basically the AAC. The Pac-12 is basically the Mountain West. In the nine years of the college football playoff, the Pac-12 has put two teams in the playoff. The the AAC has put one. The Pac-12, they call it Power 5. The Pac-12 is grifting on that Power 5 status because the Pac-12 is a collection of USC and Oregon who have a shit ton of money, collect all of the local four-star prospects, and occasionally we'll win 10 games between the two of them, and, and USC's had a terrible, terrible last 10 years. 
So without USC at the top, you slide in just Oregon building a powerhouse and Washington getting a sneaky playoff appearance. But for the most part, it's two gigantic programs and a bunch of programs that basically could play in the Mountain West. I'll go down the list. Cal, Mountain West. Arizona State, Mountain West. Arizona, Mountain West team. Stanford, the last six years, Mountain West team. Oregon State, the last 15 years, Mountain West team. Boise State has been better than Oregon State for the last 15 years. San Diego State has been better than Oregon State the last 15 years. Colorado, that's basically a big sky team at this point. Colorado is terrible. And Utah, in in the power vacuum void, Utah has actually built a really interesting program where they don't have the same resources as Oregon and USC, yet they're able to consistently compete with those schools because... They've they have one of the uh, as Spencer Hall of the Shutdown Forecast calls it like one of the good ones in this really gross sport of college football where there's total power imbalances and abuses of power. Kyle Whittingham for the most part seems to be one of the good ones, and Utah's kind of built this interesting power over the last fifteen years that is basically secondary to Oregon at this point and the the Pac-12 South equivalent. But basically, we've been doing this show for four years been making fun of the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 puts themselves in higher regard than where they stand and you know our perfect formula for beef which is someone who has too high of expectations for what the situation is Chicago Bears great team to beef with Denver Broncos great team to beef with New York Giants great team to beef with although New York Giants fans are a little bit more resigned now for the first time in four years the Pac-12 gave me something to talk about And genuinely, we'll talk about without mockery or without a tone of sarcasm in my voice. Y'all, that that USC-UCLA game was absolutely marvelous. Marvelous football. Marvelous. And for the first time since 2014, which again is Check's Watch eight years ago, for the first time in eight years, I can genuinely say USC belongs in the playoff. Even that Washington team that's the second team that's carrying a lot of weight for the Pac-12, that Washington team lost 24-7 to Bama in the playoff. That 2016 Washington team did not belong in the playoff. We just had to send someone. The same way we had to send USC, or we had to send Oklahoma. I'm confusing Lincoln Riley between USC and Oklahoma. We have to send Oklahoma sometimes. We have to send TCU We have to send Cincinnati. We have to send Notre Dame. Sometimes the fourth team just happens to win 12 and go 12 and 0 and they get a playoff spot. And this time around, that is USC. And they genuinely belong in the playoff. Is that because Tennessee dropped the ball? Yes. Is USC as good as Tennessee? Yes. Does USC's team feel pretty similar to Tennessee's in that they have a form, uh, an offense that puts up 40 points, a defense that gives up 35, and not really a whole lot of offensive or defensive line? Yes. USC is that Tier 2 team that I can look at and be like, hey, that would make a good playoff game. Will they lose? Who cares? It'll be a good playoff game to watch. Even Cincinnati last year, knowing they were going to get boat raced, was still a good game to watch. Wasn't unwatchable football like that one time Notre Dame played uh, Ohio State. Wasn't unwatchable football like when Michigan State got blanked by Alabama. Wasn't unwatchable football like when Washington lost to Alabama. But who cares? We already know at this point there's never going to be four teams that are on equal footing making the playoff. The best you can hope for is a 2-3 matchup that actually might be close like Notre Dame and Ohio, or sorry, like Ohio State and Clemson when it was Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Or you just hope that it's going to be LSU putting up 49 points in the first half. Like, those are the two options that you shoot for. So, USC, genuinely fun to make the playoff. Let me just read you the box score of, or sorry, the drive chart of this game. Because at the start, there's a little bit of uh, back and forth. So, turnover on downs for USC, a punt, a missed field goal. It's kind of chaotic at the start. USC throws an interception. UCLA goes up 14-0 in the, in the first quarter. Then after that, here's the, here's the drive charts after that. Touchdown USC, UCLA punt, field goal USC, touchdown UCLA, touchdown USC, 
interception UCLA, missed field goal, interception, end of half. Okay, it's 21-17. So even in the chaos, there's still like some interceptions and, and crazy stuff happening. Then we get to the second half, which is UCLA field goal, USC touchdown, UCLA fumble, USC touchdown. Then we have, on consecutive possessions, Eight play touchdown, eight play touchdown, one play touchdown, ten play touchdown, eight play touchdown, USC punt, UCLA interception, end of game. The fourth quarter, you go, or really, let's just say the second half, you go touchdown, fumble, touchdown, 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 punt, interception, end of game. Like, that game was wild fun. Wild, wild fun. You had... One, two, three, four, five, six consecutive touchdowns back and forth. You had a USC touchdown off a UCLA field goal. And then the interception to end the game. Which, by the way, that last drive, three-point game, two minutes to go, 48-45. Joel Klatt said on the Fox broadcast, if you punt, this was right before USC punted back with uh, three minutes to play. Or I guess it was like 2.30. If you punt, you lose. Joel Klatt said that on the broadcast. That's how awesome that football game was. If you punt, you lose. This is like the, and I know it's 48-45, so the score resembles that. This is that Patrick Mahomes versus the Rams game from a few years ago, where it's just every play up and down the field, score, score, score. This is like that LSU game against Alabama, where it's just like score, 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 the Joe Burrow LSU team. Like, this was a super, super, super fun game, especially once you got to the second half. Because the first half, like, imagine if you don't have all the turnovers that both of those teams had because, you know, they had interception that, or missed field goal that led to a touchdown and interception that led to a touchdown. Um, they they had two interceptions back and forth where USC didn't score any points off of it. The one was a UCLA interception, then a missed field goal, and then it was a UCLA interception and USC kicked a field goal to end the half it wasn't really anything spectacular but if you had added those into the game you could have had like a 60 to 56 game that would have been like one of the ones that you think about for the rest of time and not that this game wasn't amazing 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 it is it was just so much fun and Caleb Williams and that USC offense we talked about that with Blake Jude and eventually Blake Jude's going to join us again he had a, a situation going on back home, so he's been off for a few weeks. And eventually he's going to join us again, and we're going to talk about USC in depth because like, what they've done where they have a team with basically pay a bunch of money to copy and paste Oklahoma's program and did it within three months, did it within nine months. Because what they did in this new system of college football was buy a coach from Oklahoma Bring over the star quarterback from Oklahoma, five-star prospect, guy who coming out of high school was projected to be a first-round pick, and then came in as a rookie and or as a freshman and and played at a Heisman level for the games he was there. And then you bring in the running back from TCU, transferred from TCU to USC, and then you bring in the star sophomore wide receiver from Pitt. And a lot of this is just throwing money at the situation, and a lot of it is like, hey, copy-paste program, would you rather go play for USC? And again, not everyone can replicate this. The gift for USC is they picked the right coach. LSU tried to do it with Brian Kelly, and they will be moderately successful at this with Brian Kelly. It's not the same thing because Brian Kelly is bringing in all new players and using transfers to coach. And Brian Kelly's a close comp in this case. Kalen DeBoer in Washington is another close case where um, he goes from Fresno State to Washington, transfer portals the program for the most part with a handful of new recruits. For the most part, transfer portals the program and Washington goes 8-2 and two and beats Oregon. And they could theoretically win 10 games this year. And I think it's super interesting that you follow that model because not everyone's going to have the same level of success as USC, but for those who have the resources of USC, because for those who don't know, like outside of the Big Ten and the Pac-12, USC and Oklahoma and Texas and Clemson to a certain extent and Florida State to a certain extent 
those are the only programs that have the kind of money and resources to compete with SEC schools and the SEC television dollars. And that's because they have gigantic boosters and private fund bases. And Oregon falls into this group because Oregon has Phil Knight money. So USC basically throws money at the situation, but money doesn't always succeed in college football. Texas A&M, Texas. Money doesn't always succeed in college football, but money used in the right places will have a measure of success. And in this case, USC did it exactly correctly. And the reason they did it exactly correctly is because Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams as a package. That was the foundation that allows them to immediately be contenders as long as they spend the money to be competitive around those guys and give them infinite resources, which, by the way, is the exact... If you want to know the specialty of Alabama, Alabama's foundation is that exact same formula being applied, which is tons of money to Nick Saban, give him infinite resources, and then expect him to deliver the results. But continuing to give resources is exactly the way to build that up. And again, USC might not get to a tier one program and it doesn't matter because Oklahoma wasn't even a tier one program. It's an incredibly high bar to hit. What they've already done at this point is an immeasurable success, immeasurable success. And they delivered an incredibly interesting game against UCLA on Saturday that will in essence put them in a position where they don't quite control their own destiny. They need one more result to go their way, whether that's Michigan or Ohio State getting the doors blown off each other or TCU losing the Big 12 championship game. They need one more result to go their way. And USC, uh, they need Georgia to win the SEC championship. They need TCU to lose or they need Ohio State, Michigan to be a blowout. Like they need two of those three circumstances and they win out and they can maybe they can get the, the fourth playoff spot which was the thing we were talking about at the start of the year of being super interesting. So it already an immeasurable success, whether they get the five or the six or the four, already an immeasurable success. And something that college football is hard to replicate year to year, but if you keep Caleb Williams in place for another year, you expect that you'll be able to go 11-1 and one again. Might not be 12-0 and because you lose Jordan Addison and you lose some of the pieces that you transferred in, and we saw what happened with Bama. We're seeing what's happening with Tennessee where the you know they they do the transfer thing and they go 10 and 2 and we thought they were going to maybe go 11 and 1 but you know you're looking at a situation look at Clemson with with what Clemson's doing also so like it's pr- hard to predict year to year this might be the best version of it might not still already an immeasurable success for USC All right, everybody, it is time to award the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award for week number 12 of the NFL season. While there was no true Kirk Cousins Purgatory situation this week, which is unfair to two weeks ago when there was about four of them and we had to pick a true Kirk Cousins Purgatory situation, this week we do have one award to bestow and that is for the closest thing to Kirk Cousins purgatory which was one timeout 31 seconds and down three points it was in fact Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers on Sunday night football against Patrick Mahomes as we talked about earlier losing in the most heart-breaking fashion you can find Justin Herbert, you get the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Honoring the namesake of the award, the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, this is actually the first time Justin Herbert has received this award in the two years that we've been keeping track. So congratulations to Justin Herbert for for the first time spending your Sundays in Kirk Cousins Purgatory after leading the game-winning drive, converted a bomb third and 18 to Keenan Allen. And scored the game-winning touchdown on a play out of a timeout that really just fooled the Kansas City defense. Just pretty much stumped them. Scored the game-winning touchdown, the minute 40 to go, and then Mahomes happened. Where you basically gave Mahomes an extra timeout and an extra minute to do something he's done a bunch of different times before. So Kansas City just marched right down the field on your defense. Beneficiaries of a missed pass interference call, and all of a sudden you find yourself in Kirk Cousins' purgatory. 
Congratulations to Justin Herbert for receiving his first Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Not since Phillip Rivers' 2019 season have we seen a Charger quarterback in such a position. So this was a a bit of an off week for Justin Herbert because he's really, really good at football and only in a universe where Patrick Mahomes exists does all of that get wiped out. And if the Chargers do ultimately miss the playoffs because, you know, they're 5-5 and and it's going to be either them or the Jets or the Patriots, it's going to be a tough little pill to swallow. And uh, only in a universe where Patrick Mahomes exists is this even a a question to contemplate because the Chargers are like a seven-win team on paper. They just have a catastrophic number of injuries and have lost two heartbreakers to Kansas City. Thanks for stopping into our NFL Monday podcast, everybody. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Let's play it out one more time. RIP to our brother Takeoff. Let's play it. Take it easy, everybody. I sure know I am. Had to get it on my own